Coming up next, please join us for Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 124. Shalom, I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. Welcome to Real Israel Talk Radio. This is podcast episode 124 and a part 11 analysis of Yeshua's last Passover week timeline of events leading to his crucifixion and his third day resurrection. To get the most out of this teaching series, I recommend that you navigate to my website and download any of the free resource documents addressing Yeshua's last Passover week timeline of events that I call Exhibits A and B. With these documents, you can easily follow along with my presentation of today's study. Navigate over to my website for further details at cominghome.co.il and you can put a forward slash and the words general hyphen five or just follow the menu link there at the top of the website for podcast extras, okay? In my previous analysis, podcast episode 123 and part 10 in this program series, I walked you through event number 7 of 27 events identified as part of all the major actions shaping the last week of Yeshua's earthly ministry. Actions resulting in his crucifixion on the fifth day of the week in what we would refer to as a Thursday, which is then followed by his seventh day resurrection or a Shabbat resurrection. From the previous program, we learned the following points, and I do suggest that you open your Bible and follow along with me as I give you the references. Point number one. In Mark 14, 1 through 2, and Matthew 26, 1 through 2, the text says, quote, after two days. And this refers to the first and second days of the coming Passover week, meaning Sunday and Monday. Point two, in Luke 22, 1 through 2, when the text says that the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, it was not specifically referring to the seven-day feast, or in Hebrew, the seven-day moed of unleavened bread, as it is written about in Exodus chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Point number three, in Luke 22, 1 through 2, the text refers to eating unleavened bread with the Passover lamb on the 14th of the first Chodesh or the first month. This is for one night only. That's it. Point number four, sunrise of the following day refers to the 15th day of the first Chodesh of the first month, 
in Scripture. This is called the Feast or the Moed of Unleavened Bread, and it lasts for seven days. Point number five. In Exodus 12, verse 18, beginning with the word evening, it is defined in Scripture as beginning with midday, or what we call our afternoon. So beginning with evening, we are required to eat unleavened bread for a count of seven consecutive days. It ends on the 21st day of the first Chodesh, or what is called the first month. Point number six. According to Exodus 12, verse 18, and Exodus 13, 4 through 7, this specifically refers to eight days of unleavened breads, plural. Yes, I'm being very specific by saying this is a plural term in Greek, and rightly so, because it's eight days of unleavened breads when allocated between the festival of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we should keep in mind the timing in this manner. A, one day and an evening with unleavened bread and the Passover lamb. They go together. And B, seven days and evenings with unleavened bread and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it actually combines out to eight days, even though it's actually one day and seven days. Point number seven. On the third day of the week, in the evening of the night, or what we call Tuesday, on the 14th of the first month, according to the Sadok system of calendar reckoning, Yeshua and his disciples celebrated the biblical Passover according to Exodus 12, verse 8. Point number 8. On the fifth day of the week, in the evening of the night on what we call Thursday, on the 15th of the first month or first Chodesh, according to the Judean Pharisaic system of calendar reckoning, most of the general population of the Jews and the temple religious leadership began celebrating their Passover. We'll come back to more of that as we come through the program today. Point number nine. Accordingly, the timing between the Sadok and the Judean systems of reckoning time for biblical festivals, two days separated the events of these groups. We'll come back to more of that as we work our way through the timeline. And finally, point number 10. In Mark 14.2, there is a statement, quote, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. Now, this statement is explained to account for the difference between the two 
different religious calendars that were operating, but they were not in synchronicity with each other. Let us now continue to unravel the events that were rapidly unfolding with each passing hour of Yeshua's last Passover week leading up to his fifth day of the week crucifixion and his seventh day of the week resurrection. I'm now going to begin with event number eight, as I'm calling it. This would time out to Monday late afternoon and the evening of Aviv or Nisan 13, according to the Sadok calendar reckoning not the Judean calendar reckoning. According to Mark 14, 10 through 11, it is now the second day of the week, or what we might call late in the day, on Monday afternoon in Jerusalem. On the Tzedok calendar reckoning system, it is the 13th day of the first Chodesh or the first month, based on Exodus 12, verse 2. On the Judean calendar system, it is the 11th day of the first Chodesh, or first month, based on a special Pharisaic interpretation of Genesis 1, 14 through 19. This said, let us now begin with Mark 14, 10 through 11. Then Yehuda Ish Kiriot, or sometimes he's just called Judas Iscariot, he was one of the twelve. He went to the chief priests to betray him to them, referring to Yeshua. When they heard, they were glad and promised to give him money. So, he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Now, this narrative about Yehuda Ish Kiriot is actually time-stamped to Mark 14.1. Quote, After two days, it was the Passover and unleavened breads, plural in the Greek, This event that we're talking about right now, event number eight, is identified with the second of the two days in Mark 14.1. Yehuda, or Judas, is likely the son of Shimon, a well-known and wealthy resident of Bethany, at least according to John 6.71 and Mark 14.3. Let's read them together. John 6.71. He, referring to Yeshua, spoke of Yehuda or Judas Iscariot, the son of Shimon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. And in Mark 14.3, and being in Bethany at the house of Shimon, the leper. Now, I want to bring out a point here in regards to this term, Shimon the leper. Was Yehuda's father a leper? Not 
probable. Rather, it is most likely a gloss or a scribal error. There are two biblical Aramaic words that are spelled the same, but they don't have the same exact pronunciations or meanings. Let me give you these two words so you can follow along with me. First, there is this Aramaic word which can be spelled Gimel, Resh, Vet, Aleph, and it can be pronounced as Gearba, with an ending Aleph, and this refers to a leper, and it does have a similar spelling in Biblical Hebrew. Now, there is a second Aramaic word that is also spelled Gimel, Resh, Vet, Aleph, but its pronunciation is Garba, and it refers to a large bottle, a jug, or keg of wine. And it is referenced in the Targumim, or what is called the Aramaic translation of the book of Jeremiah, chapter 13, verse 12, 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verse 24, 1 Samuel 25, verse 18, and also it's mentioned in the prophets Haggai, chapter 2, verse 16, and Joel, chapter 1, verse 17. So again, we have these two Aramaic words, Garba, and the second one is Garba. Believe it or not, they are different words, but they are spelled the same. Now, the Aramaic Peshitta text of Mark 14.3, not the Greek text, but the Aramaic Peshitta text, it reads Garba, implying that Shimon was a maker of large bottles jugs, or kegs, primarily for the containment of wine. When examining these Aramaic terms, it becomes apparent very quickly that there was a probable misunderstanding during translation work. The translator, probably not familiar enough with the laws of the Torah, mistakenly identified Shimon as a Ga'arba, that is, a leper, when in fact Shimon was not a leper, but was a maker of large bottles or jugs or even kegs of wine. And this understanding makes a lot of sense that Miriam, or Mary, had an earthenware perfume vessel in the house of a bottle or jug maker. And this also would clarify why Yehuda or Judas, was the money keeper for Yeshua's group of disciples because the Aramaic word ish kiriot might refer to one who was a maker of leather aprons or covers, that is to protectively cover things such as a money box. No one is actually quite sure exactly what this Ishkiriot means, but there is a fair amount of speculation out there among the scholars. 
So what does this actually tell us about the man Yehuda or Judas who betrayed Yeshua? First, it's telling us that he was Yeshua's keeper of the group's money, as per John 12.6 and John 13.29. The second point is that Yehuda was the son of a wealthy Shimon of Bethany, who was locally known as the maker of bottles and jugs and kegs and vessels for wine and other expensive goods. But in error, he was referred to as Shimon the leper in Matthew 26.6 and Mark 14.3. The third point that I want to make about Yehuda is that he was likely a religious nationalist with some very high hopes that Yeshua was the promised messianic savior who would come to fight against Rome and set the Jewish people free from these Roman oppressors. So when Yeshua didn't quite play all of this out in the way that Yehuda had anticipated, he then opened himself up as an opposer to Yeshua's mission statement of going to Jerusalem to die for the nation. And this just didn't sit well with Yehuda, Ish Kiryot, or Judas Iscariot. Because with Yeshua dying, why, they're losing this great leader to be able to go and just put these Romans in their place. So with Yehuda's hopes completely dashed and depleted, and that in Yeshua, the Jewish nation had a messianic hope that turned sour, so to speak, he began to plot against him ultimately leading to his own demise. Now with this, we turn to Mark 14, 3-9. It is now one day before the slaughter of the Passover lambs in the gated community of the priestly quarter of Jerusalem. But at the same time, it's three days before the Passover of the religious Judean Jews and the temple authorities. So, here we learn what happened in that late afternoon of that Monday in Bethany at the home of Shimon, the large bottle, keg, or jar maker. As he, Yeshua, sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster jar or a vessel of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves, and they said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But notice what Yeshua said, quote, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me, for you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand 
to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. What we do know is that after this, Yehuda left the home. Yeah, he walked away from being in that home at that moment, and he went to go pay a visit to those that had the power to detain Yeshua from fulfilling his messianic vision. But see, for Yehuda Ishkiriot, Yeshua was acting crazy. He was on a suicide mission, and Yehuda was simply going to save him from this ridiculous act of self-destruction. He didn't want Yeshua to do that. That would have ruined the whole opportunity against putting the Romans in their place. And I suspect that Peter, or Kepha, was similarly motivated in Matthew 16, Peter, when Yeshua was saying, I've got to go to Jerusalem to die, and Peter says to him, no, you're not going to do that. And Yeshua says, get away from me, Satan or Satan. You don't have Yehovah's interests in mind. So when Yehuda Ishkiriot had met with the temple priests and also the Pharisaic rulers, he discussed all the details to be carried out against Yeshua in the groves of the Gatshaman olive presses or the Gethsemane olive presses late on the very next night, which would have been the third day or what we would call Tuesday. And at the same time, it was still the 14th day of the first Chodesh or first month according to Exodus 12.8, on the Tzedok priestly reckoning system. Because for the Tzedok priestly reckoning system, a day always began with the next sunrise on the next morning. Their days did not change at sunset as the Pharisees developed that tradition. Now, following the sunrise of the next day, again, It is now Tuesday, the 14th day of the first Chodesh, or the first month. According to Exodus 12, verse 2, it's after sunrise on that Tuesday morning. So therefore, it's now the 14th day of the first Chodesh, or the first month. And Exodus 12, 2 reads, This Chodesh, or this month, is your head of the Chodeshim, or your head of the months. He is the first Chodesh, or the first month of the year to you. So now this brings us to event number nine, meaning this is going to bring us to what we would call Tuesday afternoon, that is, the evening of Aviv 14 in Jerusalem's gated community of the Tzedok priesthood. Accordingly, let's now look at four narratives with a timestamp to help us reconstruct the happenings of the 14th day of the first Chodesh or first month, beginning with the sunrise of that day. 
Here is Mark 14.2. Follow along with me in your Bible. The chief priests, that is the heads of the Kohanim, yes, and it is plural, by the way, and the scribes sought how they might take him, referring to Yeshua, by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. So, there was a leadership consensus that they, the religious leaders, should not seek Yeshua's crucifixion during the feast, or in Hebrew, the Chag, when they said, quote, not during the feast. We'll come back to this in just a moment. This is Avi Ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. Welcome back to the second half of Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 124. Here is your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Okay, we're back, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and we're now going to continue with the second half of our program and talk about event number nine as I am identifying it. The date would be a Tuesday afternoon, as we would call it. That is the evening of Aviv or Nisan 14 in Jerusalem's gated community of the Tzedok priests and their supporters. Here is Mark 14.2. Follow along with me in your Bible. The chief priests, that is the heads of the Kohanim and the scribes, sought how they might take him, referring to Yeshua, by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. They referred to the eight days of the feast of Passover and unleavened bread. For them, the eight days had to begin on the fifth day of the week, that is, the 14th day of their first month, which would have been Thursday evening at sundown, according to the gospel narratives. But then, let's compare their timing with what we read in Mark 14, 12. Quote, Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, that is, when they slaughtered the lamb, his disciples said to him, that is, to Yeshua, quote, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? Meaning, that you may eat the slaughtered lamb. Also, the statement is echoed here in Matthew 26, 17. Follow along with me. Now, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Yeshua, saying to him, quote, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? Again, meaning to eat the slaughtered lamb. And also, the statement is again found in Luke 22, 
7 through 8. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover, that is, the slaughtered lamb, must be killed. That is, the lamb that is going to be slaughtered. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. Meaning, go and slaughter and roast the Passover lamb, that we may partake of it. These three synoptic narratives are unmistakably given a timestamp that the slaughter of and the eating of the Passover lamb that Yeshua partakes of, that it does not happen any time during the feast of the Judean Pharisees and the festivals of Passover and unleavened bread. It doesn't. Now let's take a much closer look at the synoptic statements as they appear in the gospel narratives as it's translated from Greek. The first is in Mark 14, 12. On the first day of unleavened bread. The second is Matthew 26, 17. On the first day of the feast of unleavened bread. And the third point is in Luke 22, 7, quote, On the day of unleavened bread. Well, what is going on here? How is it possible that Yeshua and his disciples seemingly observed and memorialized the slaughter and eating of the Passover lamb along with unleavened bread? Still, the feast of the Passover and unleavened bread had not yet arrived according to the Judean Pharisees. The answer is precisely what I've been speaking about all along. Yeshua and his disciples memorialized the eating of the Passover lamb on the third day of the week, that is, a Tuesday at sundown. The Judean Pharisees and the nation of Israel they memorialized the eating of the Passover lamb and began unleavened bread on the fifth day of the week, Thursday at sundown. So you see, both groups observed the Passover, but they did it on two different days. First, Yeshua observed his Passover and unleavened bread based on a reckoning of solar days, according to the Sadok reckoning system. The second point, the Judean Pharisees, along with the scribes and these corrupt chief priests of the temple, they all observed their Passover and their unleavened bread based on a reckoning of sighted moon lunar calendar days. So these two calendar systems were essentially at odds with each other. And there was a clear two-day difference between the two events, but only in what we would call year 27 of this common era. In all the other years that I was researching between year 24 and year 33, 
the time spread between the two events was actually much greater. It could have been as much as six days or seven days between the two groups doing their events. But in this particular year, year 27, as we would call it, there was just two days. This said, let us continue. According to the gospel narratives, the statements on the first day of. This statement represents a twisting of the Greek textual tradition based on a typical translational bias. Again, please permit me to present the statements as they appear in the New King James Version based on the texts that we have available. Again, Mark 14, 12. Now, the first day of the unleaveneds, this is referring to a sequence of many days of eating unleavened bread. This is the first day of the sequence of eating unleavened breads. Matthew 26, 17, it says the same thing. Now, the first day of the unleaveneds, or if you will, the first day in a sequence of eating unleavened breads. And finally, in Luke 22, 7 through 8, he writes, Then came the day of the unleaveneds, meaning then came the day in a sequence of eating unleavened breads, plural. So according to the Greek texts, the idea of unleavened bread is plural, giving us the term unleaveneds. Now, the way the statements are structured in Greek, they represent a sequence of eating bread that is unleavened. Now, as I see things, there's only one possible meaning that can be derived from these statements, and it's based on Exodus 12, verse 8. Read it with me. Then they, referring to Israel, shall eat the flesh of the slaughtered Passover lamb on that night. The Hebrew word would be Lila, and it has to be roasted in fire with matzah, that is, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat him, referring to the Passover lamb. So what we learn is that according to the law of Moses in Exodus 12, verse 8, eating from the slaughtered Passover lamb on the night of the 14th day of the first Chodesh or first month, that event is to be eaten with unleavened bread. In other words, the Passover lamb and matzah go together as a special event, which is a one-night event. But then, with the sunrise of the next day or the next morning, there is a reset of the counting of the days of unleavened bread, resetting it back to seven days and counting those forward to the end of those seven days. And this is precisely 
how Luke explained it, saying in Luke 22, 1, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. So essentially, the two separate festivals, Passover and unleavened bread, they were merged into a special eight-day observance. Hence, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was also known as the Passover. And this was true for the Tzedok and Judean systems of calendar reckoning. They were both doing the same thing. So this leaves us with a much better understanding of the three synoptic gospel narratives from Mark 14.12, Matthew 26.17, and Luke 22.7. Now it was the first day of the eating of unleavened breads, meaning it's the first day in a sequence of eating unleavened breads over eight days. But the first day of the eight days in that sequence of days cannot be called the feast or the hog of unleavened bread singular. It can't be, because it's not. It's the slaughter of the Passover lamb where you eat matzah with that lamb. But then the next morning, that now changes, and it becomes the feast of unleavened bread for seven days. Hopefully, you're following along with me. It does get rather complicated, but I'm trying to kind of unwrap it here for you in a way that hopefully it will make some sense, okay? So let's now continue. We're going to talk about a betrayal by bread on the night of the 14th of the first Chodesh, or the first month, Yeshua and his disciples were observing the real biblical Mosaic Passover in the home of a Messianic-believing Kohen associated with the house of Tzadok in the old city of Jerusalem. First, let's take a look at Luke 22, 14-15. It reads, When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, quote, With great desire, I have longed to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, to say that he has longed to eat this Passover, he's referring to eating from the slaughtered Passover lamb. Matthew 26, 26. And as they were eating, Yeshua took bread, he blessed and broke and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. Now, let us briefly look into Matthew 26, 20 through 21 and Luke 22, 21. First, Matthew 26, 20 through 21. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now, as they were eating, he said, quote, Assuredly, I say to you, 
one of you will betray me. Now go to Luke 22, 21. Quote, But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. All of this takes place during the part of the Passover when we are commanded to eat unleavened bread or matzah and bitter herbs together, based on Exodus 12, verse 8, which tells us, quote, Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs, they shall eat him, him referring to the lamb. At that opportune time, Yehuda or Judas, jumped into action. We learn from John 13.27 and also verse 30, quote, Now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, referring to Yehuda. Then Yeshua said to him, What you do, do quickly. Having received the piece or literally the fragment of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. Now, from my perspective, it is unnecessary to argue whether Yeshua was observing the biblical Exodus Passover or not. Again, earlier in the day, his disciples came to him and asked him in Mark fourteen twelve. Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? That is, to eat the slaughtered Passover lamb. Plainly, we can see from the narratives that Yeshua was, in fact, partaking of a Passover lamb, along with Passover matzah and Passover bitter herbs. Now, it could be debated whether Yehuda ate from the lamb or not. Regardless, he did take from the bread and the bitter herbs, but to imply that this was not a legal Passover observance based on an argument over the Greek or English word for bread versus unleavened bread, why, that is a dispute that is not even rational. Unmistakably, the local context concerns the Passover and lamb eating with bread and bitter herbs. Reclining at a Passover table with bread on the table would never, ever mean common bread. That would actually be outrageous to even think that. When the term bread is used in any Passover table context, we can safely assume that the bread is most certainly unleavened bread, even if the Greek gives us the word bread as common bread. I would say, so what? It's a Passover context. Therefore, bread is unleavened bread. As for Yehuda or Judas and his betrayal, we know from the gospel record that Yeshua said to him, What you do, do quickly. 
And then we learn that Yehuda walked away from that Passover observance and he went to carry out the actions that he was destined to carry out. And this brings us to the statement from John 13.30. Quote, He then went out immediately and it was night. So I would ask the question, why in the world was it necessary for John to tell us that it was night? Obviously, it was the night of the Passover. And this was the point to be made based on Exodus 12.42. There is no doubt that this very night was to show us that this was a biblical Passover for the sons of light and not for the sons of darkness. Let us remember that in Hebrew, the term for the night is called Lila. It carries plenty of theological significance as a spiritual contrast between that which belongs to the chaotic elements of darkness and death versus the ordered elements of light and life, revealing the true meaning of the Passover, according to Exodus 12.42. So once again, let's go back to Exodus 12.42 and remember that most English translations render the Hebrew in this manner. It, referring to the Passover, is a night of solemn observance to Jehovah for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of Jehovah, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel through their generations. The English translators give us this idea of a solemn observance. Now, I don't know what your translation says, but the New King James Version has the term a solemn observance. But I got to tell you, that's not capturing the meaning of the verse. So let's have a closer look at the text from Hebrew. Leil Shemurim Hu Leyehovah, Lahotzi Am Me'eretz Mitzrayim, Hu Halayla Hazay Leyehovah, Shemurim Lechol Banei Israel Ledorotam. Allow me a paraphrased translation of this statement. He is watching the night for Jehovah to cause them to go out from the land of Egypt. He, referring to the Passover or the Pesach, is the one at night for Jehovah's watchers of the night towards all the sons of Israel unto all their generations. Now let's compare this statement to what Yeshua said in the garden when he was praying, then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Shimon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So what's going on here? You see, in Hebrew... The term, Leil Shemurim Hu Leohovah. He is a night of watching 
or guarding for or toward Jehovah. And this was the point to be made based on Exodus 12.42. So a solemn observance isn't capturing the idea of the Hebrew text because the Hebrew text is focused on this word for watching or guarding the night. And that explains to me why Yeshua is saying to his disciples three different times, watch, 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 but they're asleep. Therefore, it is our job to function as Passover watchers in the night to shine Yehovah's light into the world's darkness with his messianic truth and the Passover lamb and the matzah and the coming salvation in Yeshua. I think that's what's going on here. So I think for Passover, we might want to do what the ancient Israelites did under Moses. That is, to stay up all night and don't sleep, even with all that wine and all that food making you good and tired. We're going to have to try to stay awake and fulfill the idea of watching for this great salvation that is coming. We'll pick up on this on the next podcast. I want to thank you for joining me here on this program, episode number 124 and part 11 in this series on the chronology of Yeshua's last Passover week. You take care, trust Jehovah, stay the course of your faith, and have a great week. And we'll see you back here again next time. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. Mm-hmm.